my voice to the welcome to all of you here, the families of uh, the kids that are coming up later. Welcome. My name is Steve. I'm on the elder team. I'm also on the uh, preaching team here at Hollis Center Church. Thrilled to be with you today. I was on the road this week, so my iPad is as low as it's ever been when I was preaching. And so you can say a quick prayer for that in whatever direction you'd like. <laughs> And you guys, you're incredibly welcome Wednesday nights to come on out. Those are always a good time. The weather looks like it's going to be good on Wednesday to come out and uh, have a good time. Ah, there's a new chapter of HC Kids starting today, Amazonia. And so if you get a chance, head up there and check out how they decorated that second floor with a rainforest. If you've got family that's got kids or friends or neighbors, um, that are looking for a great place to have fun and learn about Jesus. HC Kids is it. Okay, we are in the book of Joshua. Exciting stuff. Whew, there's so much here. Last week, David brought a message talking about how understanding God's promises produces brave faithfulness, and we see how Joshua is an example of that. But I want to make sure that I recount to you God's promise to Joshua. It's not up here, so just listen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your ESV journals, we're going to be in chapter 2. But Joshua 1, verse 5. God tells Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Wow, what a promise. And, and brave faithfulness is absolutely what Joshua modeled. And so after just 18 verses of chapter 1, the book of Joshua turns right to chapter 2, which we're going to look at today in a sermon I've titled, True Royalty. And yes, there's current events going on here. Queen Elizabeth II died on Thursday. She was 96 years old. Listen, people, she was on the throne for 70 years. That is literally 30% of the history of the United States. She has the world record for being featured on 33 different national currencies. Some things that got postponed out of respect. Can you even believe it? Premier League soccer games that would have been played this weekend got delayed. That's big news if you're a soccer fan. The bank in England delayed their next interest rate decision. What? <laughs> There's a postal worker strike going on in England. They canceled that for now. Wow. And they postponed filming for season six of The Crown. And some of you know what that is. Australia, among other nations, is having a national holiday on September 22nd. Everybody gets the day off for her death. The Wikipedia page for Queen Elizabeth was updated within seconds of the reputable reports of her passing. Wikipedia says the Queen's article was viewed 19.9 million times in one day. 
most views in a single day any topic ever has ever gotten. And so she's in the long line of kings and queens and princesses and princes and dukes and duchesses. And yet, we're going to look at today what I've titled True Royalty. And if you know your Bible and you know what we're looking at today, you know where I'm going. The passage we're going to look at today, Joshua 2, focuses on Rahab, a prostitute in the nation of Canaan the nation that has been promised to Israel. Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. She was the mother of Boaz. Love to get into that story. Can't. She's the great-grandmother of David, and Jesus was called the son of David, the king of kings and lord of lords. And when we say Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, we mean there's no higher authority. His reign over all things is absolute. We studied some of that in Colossians. God raised him from the dead and placed him over all things. And so Ephesians says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, is in that royal line. And she is in the hall of faith in Hebrews, which we'll look at later. But I want to get to the point, and then we're going to dive right into the passage. So again, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Joshua 2. If you've got your ESV journals, um, great. But I want us to understand this today. God's purposes are not limited by your mess. And if you say, I don't have a mess, sorry, you're missing the point. God's purposes are not limited by your mess. He can change the world with your faith. God accomplishes his plans. He fulfills his promises no matter what? His plans are not dependent on you, are not hindered by you, and no mess you find yourself in makes God say, oh, what on earth am I going to do now? It doesn't happen. So we need to cleanse ourselves of that idea. How does he accomplish his purposes? His way, not yours. What does he require of us? Faith. He asks us to put our trust in what he's done and what he will do, not trust in what we have done or what we will do. And one of my favorite passages is when the disciples tried to cast out a demon. In Matthew 17, verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus' point is, faith is where the power is. Faith is what God uses to work. And so Rahab, a prostitute in Canaan, is held up in the Bible as a hallmark of someone with faith. And her faith saved her and her family, and she is someone who we would make sure, and this is the... I hope we really own this, that if we met Rahab 
before the spies showed up, we would avoid her. We would most likely talk about her behind her back and walk on the other side of the street. Take a look at that a little more when we get uh, later. But let's get into the text. Right out of the gate, we're going to see in verses 1 through 3, incompetence. Like, what? Yeah, we're going to see incompetence. And as you read it, you might be like, well, wait, what are you talking about? Well, let's read it. Verse 1, Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. Which is the walled city we all, hopefully, many of us know much about. Much to learn about it in the Bible. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Rahab was a prostitute. Some of your translations will say a harlot. It's entirely possible she was one of tons of sacred prostitutes who served at Canaanite fertility shrines. If you're uncomfortable with me using the term prostitute in church, it's in the Bible many times. And it's a description of Rahab. And there are folks, including some Jewish historians that I respect, a guy named Josephus, some of you might know, who said, no, 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 that's not really what, because they were trying to whitewash Jesus. He doesn't need to be whitewashed. What is the Bible telling us? We're going to dive in. We'll figure it out. Her house is probably an inn or a tavern, uh, a popular gathering place that would likely prove to be a great place to gather information about the city. It also, if you think about it, is a place that strange men going to wouldn't seem all that strange. There are commentators that think it was probably a brothel, but in any case, it would have been frequented by traveling merchants, out-of-town visitors to Jericho, and all kinds of others. Great place to get lost in the crowd, to disappear undetected. In any case, you see in verse 1, Joshua sent two men, what's the word? Secretly. Verse 2. <laughs> and it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. <laughs> hmm. Whatever we know, we know that they were not secret for long. And I will just say that in the first two verses of Joshua chapter 2, these guys were not very good spies. Okay? Okay? And so I want to make sure as you read Joshua 2, you see that God is accomplishing many things in spite of people. To our main point. <clears throat> they were not very good spies. Verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. And so, as we go through Joshua 2, I do want to make sure, we've got a main point to follow, but there are certain things that folks talk about. A number of folks would say that Joshua, why did he send spies? Doesn't that show a lack of faith? God promised the land. Well, there's nothing in the text to suggest any criticism of Joshua. And there is an important difference between trusting God and presuming how God's going to act. 
And so if, as you read the text at this point, Joshua has no idea how God is going to deliver Israel into Canaan and give them the land. He just knows it's going to happen. And as such, it was right and proper that he take the appropriate steps. And so there's a lesson in here for us. We don't show less faith by assuming that God works mostly through natural means rather than through the miraculous. God may well do something miraculous, but it is presumptuous on our part to assume he's going to act that way. Indeed, supernatural kind of indicates it's not expected. So just like Joshua, we'll contribute everything we can to the task that we have Asking to God to bless us, but also knowing that God can do far more than we can ask or think. And so Sam Storms, I like how he put this in his, his talk about Rahab. He says, the sovereignty of God and the certainty of his promises coming to pass do not negate the importance of wisdom and prudence on our part. Sovereignty of God and his promises don't negate our part of being wise and prudent. And so we've seen that some spies didn't do a very good job of being hidden. Take a look at why Joshua would even send spies to scope out the land. And in our next passage, we have a lie. We saw that the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you. Rahab did not bring the men out. Instead, we have verse four. Verse four, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. Hmm. Verse five, and Rahab continues, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Go chase them down. You'll get them if you go fast. That's what she said. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them, and they're hidden in her house. So Rahab's lying. This, she's like multiple levels of lies. She said she didn't know they were Israelites. She said, I don't know where they're from. She said they'd already gone. And she said she didn't know where they could be found, and she misled the soldiers into thinking that if they chased them quickly, they'd find them. This is like, this is like when I was a kid, I would have loved to have this level of ability to be deceptive. I was good, but this is next level. And I, I, want, I want you to, if you are looking for homework this week, go ahead and Google this passage and say, Rahab's lie, what's going on? And it will blow your mind what people try to come up with to whitewash this. It'll blow your, there are people that say, well, if you actually read it, she, no, she's lying. And so it was very frustrating to read some of that and go, oh, come on. But the Bible does say, Exodus 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. John 8, 44 says, Satan is a liar and a father of lies. And Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira were judged because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, we just studied, don't lie to one another. Ephesians 4, 25, therefore having put away falsehood. The other book we just studied. 
I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I love this stuff. I love it when you get to a part of the Bible and people are like, ah, oh, and get all like, Ugh. I, I really do. I, 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 so, so I'm having way too much fun right now. It's absolutely the truth. But how do we address the matter of Rahab's lies? And like I said, go research what other folks say and you'll get a good laugh. There's just a lot that, that happens to try to whitewash some of this. But in her case, there are two, hear me, two absolute moral principles that come into conflict. You can call it a moral dilemma, call it what you like. It is wrong to tell a lie. It's essential to protect human life. It is wrong to tell a lie. It's essential to protect human life. And so what do you do when you're in a place where there's no good option? Well, the first thing you do is you acknowledge that we live in a world of sin and not everything is going to be easy and perfect and laid out on a platter for you to solve. And when you approach God's word with that, in that way, you're approaching it wrong. This is a real problem generated by the fact that we're in a sinful world. But what do you do with it? What do you do? What should, what should Rahab have done? And that's the real question to ask of someone who might challenge some of this. Well, what do you think she should have done? She should have given up the spies for a certain death. So you see other cases of this in the Holocaust in different times um, where these challenges come up. And so J.I. Packer, as he often does, helps us. He says that there are times when, should be up here, love's task is to find out how to do the most good and the least evil. Love for persons must arbitrate between the conflicting claims of moral principles. And so Packer's just saying, love for people needs to rise to the top when you're dealing with these challenges. And so what he says, he says, we shall, quote, insist that evil remains evil, even when being the lesser evil, it appears the right thing to do. We shall do it with a heavy heart and seek God's cleansing of our conscience for having done it. Here's what I need you to understand. It's not always cut and dry, and it's not always easy. And the Bible doesn't always just lay it out for us and solve it for us either. This is a challenge, and we see what happened, and we see Rahab rewarded for how she protected the spies. Go ahead and mix that all up in your pot and figure out what you want to do with it. That's fine. But here's what I want to say back to the first point. God's purposes are not limited by our messes. God's purposes are not limited by our messes. And so, again, when you see this type of thing in Scripture, you have to have a strong, strong understanding of God's providence. And I know I keep throwing that word at you, and I'm going to keep throwing that word at you, because without it, without it, everything kind of turns to chaos. When I use the word providence, it's God's total, purposive, control in all things. It's God's total purposive control in all things. Even the messy things, yes. Even the easy things, yes. Even the hard things, yes. God's providence doesn't wane as a result of a situation becoming more challenging. And the quintessential place that we see that is when Joseph, who was sold uh, 
into slavery and his brothers lied to their dad, made her dad think he was dead and the whole nine yards. And when Joseph finally gets to confront his brothers at the end of all this trial, he says to them, you meant it for evil, which says you shouldn't have done it. That was way wrong for you to do. But Joseph says you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. If you are someone in here that says you can figure out how all that works, you're wrong. But God's providence is the rule here. Sorry. Let's keep going. Okay? You following me? We're going to look through a bunch of the passage now. We're going to see that they were hidden in verses 6 through 7. Verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Verse 7. <laughs> And I love it. I mean, you could just see, she's like, no, go quick, get them, you'll you get them. They just left. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the spies, who were not very good spies, just got a little lease on life because of a lie from Rahab and her hiding them. And then Rahab has a confession. In verses 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, verse 8, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And so as we read through the Pentateuch and we see some of those things, we see how um, there was even a country that Israel just said, hey, can we just go through here? And they said, no, please, well, go ahead. And then they came after, and it was a battle. And guess what? These battles that that where judgment on people just became well-known and the folks in Canaan knew about it. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is the heart of her confession. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The Canaanites were polytheists, and when we just put a title on it like that, it just sounds kind of sanitized or whatever. No, they worshipped everything. And, and you can study and see how crazy their religion got. They had temples with prostitutes in them. I mean, just incredible evil, which is part of what's going on here is a judgment of that. But, Ye but Rahab affirms that Yahweh alone is God and rules over everything. And when she said, the Lord your God, he is God, she is saying he's the only God, which is a big step for a Canaanite. And so as you read this, you can see Rahab was saying this for a reason other than just saving her skin and that of her family. She was saying, our people worship dozens of God, but your God alone is the true God. And so verse 11, highlighted if you want, that's the confession right there that's at the heart of um, Rahab's trust in God and what he's done and what he will do. 
But then she has a request in verses 12 through 14. Now then, please swear to be by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign, verse 13, that you will save alive my father and mother, my brother and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And so, yeah, we'll save you. And so 15 to 22 is all about rescue. And I don't have all the passage in here, but it details out the rescue of the men and the rescue of Rahab's family. Rahab's home was on the wall of the city, and she let them climb out via a rope. She told them to go and hide for three days, and then they would be fine. They told her, tie a scarlet cord in the window, and when we come back, we'll make sure you're safe. And then they finally make it to, to, back to Joshua for the report in verses 23 and 24. The end of the chapter. Verse 23, then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. Verse 24, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And so it's important for us to note that this is how the book of Joshua begins. And a woman from a pagan nation indicates trust in God and saves herself and her family and is used mightily to deliver the nation. So again, back to our first point, God's purposes are not limited by your mess. He can change the world with your faith. So let's reflect on what Rahab had going against her as an outsider to the Jewish nation. She was a Canaanite, Gentile by birth, and we've talked a lot about how that didn't bode well um, in the day. She was a foreigner to the covenants of God's promise. She was a woman in a man's world, vulnerable, without rights, unmarried, childless. She was a prostitute, as such, a social outcast, possibly running a brothel, and she was a polytheist, a worshiper of countless worthless and lifeless idols, and yet she is saved. And her faith is mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews, Hebrews 11.31. I've got it up here. And if you go to Hebrews 11 and you see by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith, and it's just, oh, wow, and it's these, these guys that are, oh, man, yeah, they did some amazing stuff. And you think about it, well, they all kind of fell on their faces a few times as well. And then you come to this verse, verse 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She's in the hall of faith, true royalty. I saw this somewhere this week and I grabbed it. I said, it says, I love it when one of Satan's victims becomes one of God's heroes. Amen. Whoo. And indeed, those of us that are his all need to look at ourselves in that way. 
And so how then do we, as we get to some application here, how do we look upon and treat outsiders like Rahab? We have the gospel. And there's much to the gospel, but I like how Tim Keller summarized, and I think I've showed this to you before. Tim Keller says this, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. And what's the result of the gospel? This is what he says. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. But it also changes how we look at others. So I want us to look at a couple things. We have to recognize that God works in mysterious ways that we cannot fathom. If you think you have God figured out, you don't. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. He works in ways that don't make any sense. And a quick aside here, those of you that would tell you that the Bible is made up, a bunch of guys just sat around and wrote it to make a case for themselves, nobody puts a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus unless it's true. Nobody. Sorry, I really feel strongly about that. <laughs> Literally, who makes this up? That was even in my notes. Sorry, let's keep going. Number two, we have to be work really hard as people to get past first impressions. We really do. Rahab would have offended every single person in this room, and indeed the convictions of the spies even. And we need to be open to the possibility that folk have not arrived and that they're on a spiritual journey. It'd be all too easy for us to conclude that God had abandoned a woman like Rahab, just written her off, for there's no hope. And so we need to be people that never conclude that someone is utterly beyond the possibility of salvation. And I would also ask you, we know what Rahab's mess was. What's yours? What's yours? God's purposes are not limited by your mess. He can change the world with your faith. And so if you think, if you're here today and you think you're unworthy, I pray that, this, that the Bible will teach you otherwise. Jesus makes us worthy. Regardless of what your life has been to this point, to this moment, how far you've strayed, how deep you've done stuff, how much you've rebelled, how selfish you've been. God calls on you to call about him, to call on him. God's purposes are not limited by your mess. And I love 1 John 3, 1, where the Apostle John says this about us, those that have put our trust in Jesus, like Rahab did. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. I want to talk about true royalty. We're children of God. And John continues, and so we are. There's an exclamation of just, wow. God's purposes are not limited by your mess. He can change the world with your faith. And how exciting for us to take from here and continue through Joshua and see how this all plays out. 
I hope you keep coming back. I hope you take your ESV journal or your Bible and spend time with this book during the week as well. What we're going to do next, we're going to have some kids come up and be baptized, which is just awesome. Love it. These are folks who are just taking a step of faith. A step of faith, identifying with what Jesus has done for them on the cross. So if you guys want to go ahead and come up, along with the folks baptizing them, I'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that we, now here's what we confess. We confess that we judge everywhere around us. We look and we kind of figure out whether you like them or not, what you think of them, whether you would approve of them, and whether you would approve of them or not is really based on whether we would approve of them or not. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for presuming upon your judgment, your ways in that way. And so today, may we take a look at the story of Rahab. May we take a look at the account of this woman who so undeserving was saved by you because of a simple act of faith in you. Help us as we work through our mess, as we work through this life, to acknowledge that what you've requested of us is faith. Help us to each grow in our faith by spending time together, spending time in your word, worshiping you so that we can be your servants, so that we can hear, well done. Thank you now for what we're about to witness, exciting it is for our body, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.